The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By CanDo, providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health. By Woodard and Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services. By Intera, geoscience and engineering solutions. By Xylem, let's solve water. By Black and Veatch, building a world of difference. And by the American Waterworks Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. This is session 186. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you for joining me. We have a great interview today with Jennifer Walker, who is the Deputy Director of Texas Coast and Water Program for the National Wildlife Federation. Uh, but before we get to Jennifer, a hearty thank you to our sponsors, Can Do, Woodard and Curran, Intera, Xylem, Black and Veatch, and the American Waterworks Association. Thank you so much to all these sponsors who make the Water Values podcast possible. So thank you again for your support. And I'd also like for you, the listeners, to do me a favor. If you work for or with any of these sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at that sponsor firm and let them know that you appreciate their support of thought industry leadership uh, through the sponsorship. You'd be surprised. You really will about how far that simple note of thanks can go. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. That would be greatly appreciated and helps others find out the po- about the podcast and uh, we can get to the most recent review that was left on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this is from Ryan Bowler. Ryan uh, titles his review, The Best Podcast for Our Most Important Resource. Um, and he gives it five stars. Thank you very much, Ryan. And Ryan says, David is a great and knowledgeable host who always invites interesting people. Although the discussion is always themed around water, I listen to every episode and learn something new and interesting. I suggest you do the same. Well, thank you, Ryan. You know, it's it's ironic that because I, I learn something from every guest too. Uh, it's it's just it, it, it not only I think is providing this education of benefit to the the sector generally uh, and individuals, but for me, it's personally gratifying because I do learn a, a little something or a lot of something uh, from all my guests. So thank you, thank you so much to the guests for agreeing to come on. Thank you to the listeners. And thank you to everyone who's left a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, or Stitcher. Um, now it's on to our featured guest, with Jennifer Walker. Again, she is the Deputy, Direct, Deputy Director uh, for the Texas Coast and Water Program for the National Wildlife Federation. And so let's get that water flowing. Well, hey, Jennifer, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me here. I'm glad to talk to you. Awesome. Uh, Jennifer, for those of you who, for those of the the listeners who don't know you already or know much about you, can you please provide us a little background on yourself and how you got interested in water? Absolutely. So uh, my name is Jennifer Walker and I'm the deputy director 
for the Texas Coast and Water Program at National Wildlife Federation. And I'm based in Austin, obviously, um, in Texas, because that's where the base of my work is. Um, and I've worked in the water space for quite a while. Um, I've mainly worked on this project, this collaborative project in Texas, known as the Texas Living Waters Project, which is a collaboration of National Wildlife Federation, Sierra Club, Galveston Bay Foundation. Um, and then we've got other partners through the years, such as Hill Country Alliance is a, is a partner. Um, but basically, it's conservation groups working collaboratively um, on, uh, on water issues in Texas. Uh, our goal is really to make sure that we have enough water for fish and wildlife habitat in Texas. Um, and we approach that work through a lot of different ways. Right. So the way that I got into this work was um, early getting involved in this project early on and really focusing on urban water management and how we use water in our cities. And um, with the goal being that if we don't use water in our cities efficiently, then we're not going to ever accomplish our goals of ensuring that we have water for fish and wildlife habitat. So that's really been my focus for the last several years. Yeah, perfect. So um, can you also talk a little about uh, your your experience with One Water? Absolutely. So um, as I said, um, I've been really working with conservation and efficiency in a, in a general way with, you know, passing policy and helping to pass policy in Texas that um, supports efficient use of water um, trying to encourage communities in Texas to embrace water conservation. Meanwhile, we've been looking at water rights and and um, and water planning and all the different pieces that come together to create our kind of water system here in Texas. And we became very interested in One Water because uh, we believe that it provides a pathway to expand water management beyond supply. Um, we believe that we can uh, achieve healthy waterways and other community benefits through One Water. So my experience with One Water really goes back to experience in the community that I live in and that I've that is my home, and that's Austin. We experienced a really severe drought um, uh, in 2011 that extended through 2015. And Austin's water supply was extremely low. Um, the water supply reservoir that, um, that we get our water from was only 33% full. So we were really looking at emergency water supply measures for our community. And the city council and the mayor put together a group of citizens to look at those, as well as, you know, our our Austin Water Utility was looking at that as well. And so I served on that committee um, looking at emergency water supply measures, and so we put some recommendations together. But we also recommended that Austin needed to develop an integrated water supply plan, um, which is very much akin to a one water plan. They're a little different, but basically the same. Um, so that was one of our recommendations. Luckily, the drought broke um, towards the end of the year, um, pretty much very on the heels of us wrapping up our recommendations. And so we didn't have to implement the emergency water supply measures, but we did really encourage the city to move forward with the integrated water resources plan. 
and Austin Water um, was um, enthusiastic about doing so, as was our city leadership. So that really began a process of um, really scoping out what that would look like and bringing together stakeholders and consultants and working on that plan. One of the things that we did um, through that process was develop a set of guiding principles early on that kind of, we kind of set like as a baseline of what we wanted, how we saw the future of water supply in our community. And that really was the underpinning of the process throughout. And I think one of the ways that we really got to a really great plan and a great one water plan in Austin, and I can tell you more about it, but it's been a multi-year process. The plan has been adopted and um, we are moving into implementation at this point. Well, terrific, Jennifer. Now, um, uh, that's kind of how you got your background, right, in, in, in One Water. How have you kind of been able to, to, to move from your experience with, with Austin's water planning to what you're doing now? Yeah, so what I really saw from going through that process and from hearing about the One Water plans that other communities around the country were doing, I mean, this is kind of a new thing in the last like five years um, that's been developing is that there was a lot of potential here for to really, really kind of um, strongly integrate or weave together one water planning, water supply planning, and healthy waterways. As long as we were intentional with how we did it and had a clear roadmap for how to get there. Um, so one of the things that we did was actually talk to a bunch of other utilities, talk to consultants, um, and talk to water planners to see if this was happening, to, to ask them, you know, you have done a one water plan. Um, there's some good, good information or good goals about the environment in here. How did you get there? And um, so we heard a lot of feedback from different cities around the U.S., and one of the things that we came back with was that we actually really needed a roadmap for, to help guide the planning process because it's not very clear on how to do it. Right, right. Um, now, w- one of the things that you, you kind of mentioned, uh, alluded to earlier, were healthy waterways. Can you talk a little about what healthy waterways are, you know, within the, with, within the, yeah, within the one water context? Yeah. So um, what do we mean by healthy waterways? Um, so many of our communities are built around and along um, creeks, rivers, streams, rivers, springs, bays. Um, there's probably one of those or more in every community. Um, and so within and around these resources are all kinds of ecological bounty. And so in addition to sustaining the species and ecosystems that make our communities unique, These waters also provide vital services to human populations and have benefits far beyond what we take from them. Uh, So maintaining water quality and ensuring that the water needed for fish, wildlife, riparian, and upland habitats is available is a critical piece of a balanced planning effort for community or region. A water supply plan that incorporates healthy waterways um, is a stronger plan overall. So healthy waterways really is looking at our rivers, creeks, streams, springs, and bays around us and incorporating that continued health of those um, ecosystems into our long-range planning. 
Um, one of the things that we describe in our report is, you know, a goal of do no harm or make it better. Um, we want the, a, a planning goal may be like we're going to keep the quality, the current quality of these streams. They, they are fine now. We want to make sure that, that our one water planning, that our water planning does not do anything to impact these streams in a negative way or make it better. You know, many of our um, waterways are suffering from degraded water quality or not enough flow. They're um, not great habitat. They're not great for contact recreation. Um, perhaps we could also integrate into our planning efforts to make these make these areas better. Okay, you've you've identified a number of issues when when you ignore um, a, a waterway. What what are kind of the consequences of those? I mean, I guess what, why should a city or a, or a municipality or a community care about that? Yeah. So. Um, Failing to proactively plan for healthy waterways can result in impaired waterways. Um, It can increase the likelihood that more species will be listed as threatened or or endangered. Um, Water bodies may fail to meet applicable water quality standards. Streamside recreational value and amenities could be impacted. Each of these outcomes increases the likelihood that water management decisions will have to be revisited in the future, um, which could result in increased cost, additional unpredictability, and loss of public trust. So it really is very important to look at these issues and to consider them on the front end. Um, Going back and undoing the harm that we've done to our ecosystems is very complicated. It's costly, and it frequently doesn't work out as well as if we just hadn't impacted it in the first place. Can you talk about how you, and, and you've, you've kind of compiled all this into a report, right? That Absolutely. Okay. Can you talk a little about the report itself? Yeah. So um, we actually have a predecessor, we have a report called um, Ensuring One Water Delivers for Healthy Waterways. And it's a framework for incorporating healthy waterways into one water plans and projects. And healthy waterways, um, I, I described it earlier, but it's really a catch-all term for looking at the health of the bodies of water that um, are within and around your community and what the, how they're important. Each community can define that differently. Um, we also want it to be an accessible term to be able to describe it. Um, this is a little bit of a complicated concept. So the report, Ensuring One Water Delivers for Healthy Waterways, um, really is a planning framework. Um, we look at the water planning process um, and what it takes, and that's one of the things I learned about participating in Austin's planning process is going through it from from start to finish and what that looks like. And so that was very helpful and instructive. We talked like I said, to um, other utilities around the country to get some of their feedback on how their processes went. And what the report describes is um, what healthy waterways are, um, why it's important to use um, a healthy waterways framework. Um, and then we provide guidance for, for how to do planning. And we, we describe a four-step process, which I can go into a little more detail for you. Yeah, I'd love um, to hear that. I'd love to hear that. Absolutely. 
So ensuring when water delivers for healthy waterways uh, describes a four-step process that communities um, can use uh, to embark on an integrated water planning process, one water process, but um, how to with a, with a mindful incorporation of healthy waterways. And I do want to say too that um, that this process that we've developed um, is analogous to um, to a report that was developed by the Pacific Institute out of California. We partnered with the Pacific Institute and the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment at Texas State University. We partner with both of those organizations on this report. We have a lot of aligned interests and have been working together on One Water for quite a while in different capacities. So the Pacific Institute published a report this year as well about the multi-benefits of One Water. And they're talking about how do you uh, plan to um, use One Water and then look at and account for and quantify the multiple benefits of doing these types of projects. So one of the benefits that they were looking at was environmental benefits. So we really pulled that piece out and expanded it on specifically looking at the environmental benefit or healthy waterways piece of that. So um, there is a larger body of work about looking at multiple benefits, whether they're economic, health. Um, there's all kinds of benefits that can be reaped from doing this kind of planning. But let me go into the four steps that we describe, and they're really analogous to um, the Pacific Institute's work as well, but with some added specificity for healthy waterways. So um, step one is uh, creating a community vision for healthy waterways. And like I described in the process we used for Austin, um, describing that vision and the guiding principles and revisiting that throughout our process was really important. It really kept us grounded in what we were trying to achieve for our community. So the creation of a community vision is the first step to safeguarding waterways. Um, water planning often, water planners often come to the table with an established set of needs and challenges to be addressed. But with the effective engagement of communities, planners can establish a more complete scope of issues, benefits, and possible solutions. Um, if both community advocates and environmental scientists are invited to the table, the resultant vision increases the likelihood that healthy waterway concerns will be identified and thus incorporated. Uh, this visioning process enhances the prospects for community acceptance of the plan and it maximizes intersecting benefits to the community and especially impacted populations. So for these reasons, we recommend the creation of a community vision based on, an, uh, based on an authentically collaborative stakeholder engagement process. The community vision is something that gets revisited throughout the planning process, and it can be used as a measuring tool to see if the plan is meeting community goals. And it's also a great way to communicate with decision makers about the context of the plan. And I just... I can't stress this enough, like I've seen this in action, it really does work and it really grounds everything and kind of gives a common context for your planning. Yeah, yeah. can you talk a little more, like when you say, when we're talking about community vision, I mean, um, can you give an example of one? Because I, it, I think it's it would it would be helpful to have a concrete example of, of what one community Absolutely. is. Absolutely, so we pulled a few examples from other cities. These are just very short little snippets 
from the Los Angeles One Water LA plan from their guiding principles. This is just a little piece, but one of the guiding principles is to improve the health of local watersheds by reducing impervious cover, restoring ecosystems, decreasing pollutants in our waterways, and mitigating flood impacts. So that's one example. Um, from San Francisco, the One Water SF vision, this was from 2016, they say, with our One Water SF approach, San Francisco will optimize the use of our finite water and energy resources to balance community and ecosystem needs, creating a more resilient and reliable future. And um, Santa Fe, uh, their long-range water supply plan, says that the city will provide water to maintain a living Santa Fe River, except under drought or emergency conditions. So really stating your intentions up front, and then as you go through the decision-making process and the balancing of all the different water strategies and um, trying to get the right mix of water supply to meet your community's future water needs, keeping these um, vision statements in mind really kind of anchors you and helps you in your decision-making process. Got it. Got it. Um, so I, I'm sorry, I kind of interrupted you when you were going through the the, 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 fr- yeah, the no framework problem. elements, but um, um, please continue on. Yeah, but it's really important. I'm glad that you asked for examples because it's really helpful um, to hear those. It's um, every community is unique and every community has um, pieces and parts of their community. They're important to them. If a like a, a river has a cultural significance or if they want to look at the larger watershed and invite people from outside of the community in because they're thinking on a more regional level or if it's really just about some community street, you know, it just every community is different and really getting people together to set that vision and to have that vision kind of guide you as you move through the process is really important. And, and as we all know, um, water supply planning and water decisions in the end um, become political decisions. And so getting that community buy-in and that vision and showing that you have kept, um, that you have stayed with that vision uh, really um, means a lot to the decision makers when you get to that point of the process. Got it. Got it. So um, after, after working on the vision statement and, you know, keeping that really central to what you're doing. Our second step is identifying the benefits and trade-offs for advancing healthy waterways. Um, So once, so once the clear vision statement has been um, created with input from stakeholders, we move on to identifying the benefits and trade-offs of advancing healthy waterways. It's important that the desired benefits to healthy waterways be considered within the context of real external constraints especially regulatory requirements. This can result in benefits to riparian and aquatic ecosystems, groundwater levels, local drinking water supply and treatment, energy and generation use, recreation, and more. Balancing these outcomes requires proactive consideration of how water supply projects can contribute to or impair achieving achieving healthy waterway benefits, And I have a few examples of how expanded benefits can accrue from planning for healthy waterways. For example, water conservation measures that include benefits for stream flows can increase opportunities for water recreation. 
um, flow protection strategies can also impact and benefit downstream water users. Um, you know, we don't live in a bubble. There's frequently people upstream whose actions impact the amount and quality of water coming into our communities. And then, of course, there's frequently people downstream that that have the same same relationship. Um, and then another example is proactive protection of at-risk ecosystems, even those that do not yet have regulatory protection, can minimize the potential for future regulatory impediments that may undermine water supply project yield or longevity. We talked about that a little bit earlier on, but that is, you know, a big concern. And I think, you know, we can point to several places where we're like, you know, this is under consideration. Like in Texas, we have an issue with freshwater mussels, and they're being um, considered by the Fish and Wildlife Service for listing right now. And, you know, do we want to make water supply decisions in a vacuum, not thinking about the fact that we may have endangered species in our rivers at a point in the not-too-distant future, and that may dictate some of our water supply management decisions or how we're able to make them? Um, so, moving on to step three, which sounds a little bit like step two, but it's a different. Um, we call it evaluating the um, key benefits and trade-offs to healthy waterways. So, once the benefits and constraints are identified and understood from uh, step two, um, we move on to consideration of healthy waterways. And this involves a characterization of the impacts of the planned projects on waterways a quantitative assessment is preferred, but if sufficient data are lacking, then a qualitative assessment should be done. Um, and we have in our report, we've got a pretty hefty appendix that has some guidance on qualitative and quantitative assessments that can be done. So due to the complexity and variability of aquatic ecosystems, readily available environmental flow criteria, especially for individual streams or in short supply, but as discussed in the Pacific Institute's multi-benefits framework guidebook, the difficulty in assigning precise values should not result in ignoring a particular benefit or trade-off. A wide variety of key benefits and trade-offs likely will have been identified in step three, and each will lend itself to a different level of quantification for comparison. Um, there's an, a, a case study report scaling green stormwater infrastructure um, through multi-benefits in Austin, Texas. Um, that's quite a mouthful, but that was done by the Pacific Institute. We had some input on it as well, and we really looked at a particular project in Austin in order to try to quantify some of the benefits. Um, we are have been doing a neighborhood-scale rainwater harvesting program to see if if you harvest rainwater at a neighborhood scale, can you impact one of our urban streams? Can you um, take the peak off of flood flows? Can we restore base flows? Can we um, add to the soil moisture to help tree canopy? There's a lot of things that we're look that um, that they're looking at, and they kind of describe how to do some of that in this report. Um, and as I said, our report provides lots of tools and information on how to help with this part of the process. Um, this is the new part of the water supply planning process that many folks, um, for many folks, and we acknowledge it can be tricky, but it's possible to do. And I think that that's kind of one of the speed bumps that people hit is how do we quantify this? And I think that 
Um, there are some tools out there. Um, I'm not an expert at them, but I know people that are. Um, and there's some, I think that we need to, uh, not let the perfect be the enemy of good. We need to try this, see if the tools can fit, see if we can get a quantitative analysis of say like the change in stream flow, um, based on a particular strategy and then see how we can move forward because we'll get better data. Right, right. So can you talk about the outcomes of, of using the, the, the framework that you've laid out in the report? Yes. So this report was released in October of 2020. Um, And to my knowledge, there's been pieces and parts of this framework um, incorporated in different one water planning processes. What we're really hoping um, is that that communities will pick this up and really try to use it as they embark on one water planning processes. You know, these things take time, um, doing a one water plan. Um, the one that we did in Austin took a couple years to complete. Um, but there's, and you know, now that they have their plan in place, they're not going to be redoing it anytime soon, but there are lots of other cities that are embarking on this. So we're talking to folks about, um, how this would serve their community. And, you know, I've been talking a lot about healthy waterways and about, how to incorporate that and that that is a major goal. But um, the one water planning process itself is really all about water supply planning and making sure that you have a resilient water supply into the future. And then you intentionally really think about all the multi-benefits and the different ways that it can benefit your community beyond water supply. So it's not all about healthy waterways, but having a really clear and intentional consideration of that as you move through the planning process um, is very important because you can't just do it as an afterthought or say that, you know, one water, a one water planning process um, benefits the environment just by the fact that we've decided not to build a reservoir and we're doing these other types of water supply strategies. Like, yes, there is an implicit benefit, but what we're trying to move into is to really um, quantifying the benefits to really actively planning for including our healthy waterways as part of our planning outcomes that we're moving towards. Right, right. Do you have any thoughts on how to uh, make sure that the plan actually um, doesn't sit on a shelf and, you know, in a nice glossy? uh, Yeah, that really kind of brings me to like the last step of this decision making. Um, This is a piece of it. So, um, You know, if you've really had a strong and robust community process and you've had stakeholders involved throughout the planning process, you already have a built-in group of champions for your plan. And ideally, those folks would have been talking to decision makers or you would have had decision makers directly involved in your process throughout. Um, So, like we said, many, many water planning efforts are, are in the end a political exercise. So you get your city council or whoever to adopt your plan. And then you really, it's so helpful to have all the stakeholders involved and enthusiastic and working together and rolling up their sleeves on implementation. It's helpful to have, and I've seen this play out over and over again in Austin where I live, um, to have your city council and your mayor all really educated on and invested in your community's water supply plan. I mean, because what elected official is not invested in our water supply? 
but, um, you know, you'd be surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Um, luckily in Austin, we've, everyone's pretty engaged, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff to really pull folks attention, especially these days. Um, and one of the real benefits of having the strong stakeholder process is they can be very intentional about going and talking to decision makers and keeping them up to date and knowing. So I think that it really takes the water utility. It takes all the other city departments. And I keep saying cities, not all utilities are, are you know, municipal-based utilities, but, but many are. Um, it takes the other departments that will be involved in implementing this, your watershed protection or the stormwater department, um, you know, maybe your your electric utility, your parks department, um, all the folks that will be involved in implementing this, your community, to really kind of keep the ball rolling and keep, you know, cheerleading it. Um, that's what I've seen. And also, you know, it is our water supply and it is a different way of doing things. And we don't know what's coming. Climate change, which I haven't mentioned yet, but is definitely a part of this, um, is coming at us in a lot of our communities in a big way. And um, this, this, this way of providing and making water within our communities and have our communities make water provides a lot of resilience. So I think that there's a lot of ways um, that folks can really feel that imperative to make this actually happen. Yeah. That's, there's definitely speed bumps along the way and it takes advocates to keep, keep us focused. Yeah. It's, it's not easy work. That's for, that's for absolute. Yeah. Um, I think about it a lot in my community where we are implementing a plan. I think about it a lot. I have a lot of conversations with people. Um, I think that our, our plan is called in Austin is called water forward. Um, our water forward task force, our group of citizens, and then other folks, you know, are really invested in this plan. The water utilities invested in it. The city council has fairly high literacy about this plan, um, you know, but still we're working hard to get it implemented. Yeah. Yeah. You, you need, once, once you get that core group of champions, then it really, uh, it, it makes implementation easier, I think, but I mean, it still yeah. takes a lot of work. Well, you know, Jennifer, you've been, you've been terrific. Uh, be, before we sign off here, could you just, uh, provide a lead? I mean, do you have a leave behind message? What, what would your leave behind message be to the listeners? What, what do they need to take away from this? This Well, co- um, a couple of things. One is, um, well, I love water planning. I think it's really fascinating and interesting and it's really evolving um, we're taking a lot of the old things that we used to do and combining them with new things. And we're really thinking proactively about more than just like, how do we get the water supply to the treatment plant and then get it to our tap and then get it to the wastewater treatment plant. It's becoming so much more complex and giving us a lot of flexibility now. And I encourage folks to get involved in that. I really hope that people will take a look at our report and our planning framework, um, ensuring when water delivers for healthy waterways. Um, I'm really proud of it. And I think that this framework can be applied to almost any community, whether you're doing a big hundred year water plan or whether you're planning some smaller projects and take the elements that work for you. Um, Having a clear vision and having community buy-in will really help with broader acceptance with political decision makers and with actually getting these things implemented. It's, um, 
it's been really great seeing examples around the country of this happening. And so I'm, I'm very hopeful that this framework will give folks a clear vision on how do we take the things that really that we really cherish in our community, like our healthy waterways um, and our neighborhoods and our parks and other things, and really intentionally incorporate them into water planning. Because water planning, um, the the benefits of water planning are not just water supply. We can weave some other things into that. And I think that's real exciting. Awesome. Well, Jennifer, thank you again for coming on. You've been terrific. Uh, For those who folks who want to find out more about you, more about the Ensuring One Water Delivers for Healthy Waterways plan, where can they go to get that information? Yeah, so um, I encourage folks to visit our website. It's at texaslivingwaters.org. And we have publications there. You can find the Healthy Waterways report there, as well as many other pieces of our collaborative work with our partners and our water policy work in Texas and, um, and sign up for a newsletter there. But, you know, if folks are interested in learning more about this or actually want to use this planning framework, um, please reach out to me directly and, um, I'd be happy to talk you through it. Um, one of our partners that helped us develop the plan, um, from the Meadows center for water and the environment, um, is an expert at doing stakeholder processes. Um, uh, the Pacific Institute knows so much about triple bottom line and multi-benefits. Uh, we have a real team of experts that are really invested and in wanting to see this move forward. And we're happy to talk to people and and even you know work with you as if somebody wants to try try this on in their community. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jennifer. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. All right. I enjoyed it. Uh huh. Bye. Well, a huge thanks to Jennifer for her interview and her great work on that Ensuring One Water Delivers for Healthy Waterways report. I've put a link to the report on the show notes page. Just Google the Water Values podcast and then click the first link that comes up. It should be a landing page on the Bluefield Research site. Again, the Water Values LLC and Bluefield Research LLC are not um, not affiliates. Uh, we just have a joint marketing arrangement where Bluefield Research is kind enough uh, to host the the give, essentially give the water values podcast a home on the web. So uh, you can find everything. You can find out some great show notes. You can find out uh, links to other similar episodes, such as the Nusha Ajami episode on urban water planning uh, that might kind of go hand in hand with what Jennifer was talking about in her uh, one water, healthy waterways uh, discussion. Uh, well, I really would be very interested in finding out what you liked about the podcast uh, you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values, and you can tweet using my handle uh, at DTM one nine nine three. You can also email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. And you can sign up for the newsletter again at that Bluefield research landing page for the water values podcast. Thank you again for tuning in and a huge, again, thank you to our terrific sponsors. Again, those sponsors of the water values podcast include can do, Woodard and Curran, Intera, Xylem, Black and Veatch, and the American Waterworks Association. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it.
listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.